one of my favorite things about the Apple Watch Ultra and, and also WatchOS 9 is that I keep learning new things about both, like months, <laughs> months after their release, <laughs> which I, I mean, is normal for a lot of folks, I imagine. But for us, like, it's our job to kind of know as much as you can. Everything. Yeah. yeah. And I think you and I and probably our listeners as well, like, I really enjoy digging through the settings app for everything and preferences and like finding out everything I can change and how things work. So um, to learn a couple of things about Apple Watch Ultra and WatchOS 9 since they released in September is fun. Um, the first thing I, I, I learned was a few weeks ago, I think we probably discussed on the show maybe, but it's that when you do a workout with the Apple Watch Ultra and you have your iPhone with you, it will use your Apple Watch Ultra's GPS, even if your phone's with you for the for workout tracking. And Yeah, we never actually got to this on the show, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, nice. So. Yeah. And, and, then, and this is this applies to the Apple Watch Series Eight as well. Really nice. Yeah. Cool. So Series Eight and Ultra. Yeah. They now use the GPS always, whereas before, if the phone was nearby, it would use the phone's GPS. Yeah. Um. But for the for whatever reason, now they're fully independent in the sense that they always use their internal GPS yeah. instead. And that's useful because your phone could be in your pocket or somewhere that isn't on your wrist, open to the sky. So it's a little bit better optimization for having a, a, a good signal and then also for the ultra they've got the two different bands of gps so um, that's more precise so uh, less interference and and then if i didn't i didn't realize this but the iphone uh, 14 pro and pro max have the the dual band gps as the well dual band gps yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so i guess if you were not using an apple ultra maybe you'd prefer to have the, the phone gps but at any rate you get the the watch GPS even without without just having to have the phone with you because the watch gained GPS in the series two and it but it only works when your phone isn't with you up until now so that's nice yeah because it's like the internet thing right whereas if your phone's nearby it still relays through the phone for network access to save on battery yeah and with GPS I believe that was the reason they did it there too was mostly to save on battery on the watch's internal battery instead use the phone's much bigger battery but with this last generation, they've obviously decided they're at the point now where the power efficiency is good enough, the batteries inside the watches are big enough that they can get away with using the GPS exclusively within the unit. Yeah, and, and GPS is used for a lot of things, like for, for a workout specifically. Um, like it's hard to imagine that before you could do an outdoor workout with just the Apple Watch with the Series 1 and, and Series 0 and not have a map of your workout if you were like running outside or biking outside. Um, or, or swimming, for that matter, once they added swimming to the Series 2 and later. But um, it's hard to imagine that was the case, but it was. But it's, it's also used for you know, like uh, more accurately tracking distance than, than just step tracking you know, would be. And um, more recently, things like the um, auto auto route uh, mm. competitive features for yourself and also for the uh, automatically detecting tracks. So if you're like which lane of a running track you're in. And I, I haven't used that yet. Um, I don't think I have like an official running track nearby, but I have a track. <laughs> it's well, I don't think there's lanes in it, so I I haven't had a chance to try that out. But it's, it fascinates me as a feature, you know. I wonder, yeah, supposedly if you get on the track, it should just like automatically prompt you to start a workout or whatnot. So. Yeah, I wonder like, how prominent the track needs to be. As in, like, like if you, does it does it recognize it from the map from satellite view or you know? That, I do not know. Like, if you made your own track... That's why we need people that have Apple Watch Ultras to go and find out, Zach. Yeah. 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 Track runners. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure someone's... One thing they did make for track runners, actually, which I believe, even though it's just a software thing, is Apple Watch Ultra exclusive, is... So, you know, by default, if you're using the workout app, when you start a workout, it does a three, two, one countdown. Yes. Well, if you're a, if you're a runner, that's actually kind of annoying because, the, like, you're standing on the start line and then someone else calls go and then you have to start the workout or time it three seconds before... Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like a bit... Well, I, I know what you mean. And, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what they've done, there's a setting on the Apple Watch Ultra, I think it's in the workout settings, where it starts workouts immediately. Mm. So you can basically, it basically just starts the workout in like a pause mode, and then you press go and it immediately begins. So it basically cuts out the three, two, one count. Yeah, because the workaround um, for it is to tap the countdown again, like tap it once it initiates, yes. and then you skip it. Um, also with the Ultra, you've got the action button, so you could assign it to begin that workout, but that limits your action button to a specific workout versus launching the workout app or doing something else so um yeah and presume if you if you do the action button it still does the three two one countdown before it goes uh, let's see maybe let's see mine set to open workout so i can't really try it but i think it doesn't do the countdown because it's the idea is it's so precise but maybe not maybe that's what the settings for maybe it's with the action button then that if activate with action button it excludes countdown something yeah there's just, i don't have an apple structure so i couldn't find out but yeah, yeah. this is a thing that they've done and, and i do but there's just no way to find out there's no way to know <laughs> <laughs> um the other thing is uh, i learned this from a uh an apple watch ultra facebook group which is a thing there's also one on on twitter um i don't know mastodon has a thing as like this but um it's it's a group of people who mostly post pictures of their apple watch ultra in front of their car steering wheel and then they they put third-party watch, well, not third-party watch faces. They use one of those like Watchify apps to make fake Rolex faces, and then they have it as their active app without closing. Um, and they they put cases on their Watch Ultras, and then people debate whether it's tacky or not. Um, but there was one useful tip in there, which was um, that when you power off the Apple Watch Ultra, and this actually ends up working with all WatchOS nine watches, including yours, which is a Series Four, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that when you power the watch down, it doesn't go all the way powered off. They've Apple WatchOS nine has replaced power reserve as as a slider that you go into manually with power down. And so when you power down, it's actually in power reserve, and then you can hold down the digital crown for three seconds or so, and that shows you the time in the little green font. That's all it does. But that's pretty cool uh that the watch is like you would to actually power down the watch entirely you'd have to drain the battery through using it and then drain power reserve which can take i think months <laughs> in some cases I, I believe the original apple watch was rated for 30 days on power reserve but that i think was based off 100 percent charge so i don't know how long you get on on a dead on, on a dead battery plus power reserve right yeah but you probably still get a few days worth, you know. I, certainly a few days, I'd imagine. So to actually power off an Apple Watch all the way now, I mean, it, it's effectively once you power it off, like it's shut down. It's not going to, the radios aren't active. You're not interacting with it. But it can tell the time, which is pretty useful for a watch. Like Power Reserve was made before, but when the Apple Watch first generation just, you know, maybe couldn't get through a full day of, 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 uh, of active use. But you still wanted to be able to tell time from your watch. That's what it does. Um, and so it was sort of the can't make it through the day quite yet, but still I'm a watch mode. And with this, they, they've taken away the the slider to activate it. And I think even when you have a low power alert 
on at least the Ultra. I'm not sure about other watches, but it, it doesn't like prompt you to go into power reserve the way it used to. It used to, it was like a modal notification and you had to dismiss it for all of 20% battery or 10% battery. It would just be there until you dismissed it. And um, I think it still does the low battery alert, but now it prompts you to go into low power mode rather than yeah. power reserve mode because power reserve mode doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah. I, my, my Apple Watch Ultra, I, I'm in a really good routine where, like, like, this is something I feel about the Apple Watch Ultra. I like the look of the non-Ultras because of just how, like, sleek they are. The edge-to-edge, rounded screen, the just, the compactness, the, the roundedness of it all, the stainless steel, shiny options. I like all of that. Um, many more of the watch faces look better on the non-Ultra watch. But the battery life just remains, and this has been true since I've, you know, first had it, but the battery life remains just phenomenal. Um, where I can do an active workout, I can get through a day and a half. I can I can sleep track for two nights and then charge for maybe an hour, and then I'm back to 100 percent because I'm not even getting down to zero percent or like 20. I'm usually charging from like 40 percent after, you know, I'd say after a day I'm charging from like maybe 50 or 60 percent. So it's really really good. Um, but this this behavior is uh, it's cool. It's kind of neat to learn that. And I posted about it from the Apple Ultra perspective because that's how I you know, tested it and learned about it. But um, readers were quick to say, yeah, it works on, on my Series 8, on my SE2. Um, and then we, <laughs> we I, I talked about it with you and, and I think our colleague Chance before, and neither of us, like none of the three of us knew about it, which was like, okay, that's grounds for posting it because if we don't know about it. I bet more people don't know about it. Um, but then even like days after we had written that, um, you and I were talking about like, okay, well, people said it was on watchOS 9 watches. Yours has a watchOS 9, try it out. And you powered down and you tried it out, and you're like, nope, nothing. But it was that you hold <laughs> hold the button a little longer, and then it shows it. So yeah, I think I was holding the um oh, the, the bottom button, not yeah. the top button, yeah, yeah the, not the crown, yeah. yeah. So yeah, but yeah, it's a nice little evolution. Mm-hmm. Like the watch is many years old now; it can start being more sophisticated in all regards. Like so many of the original watch, um, like behaviors were just born out of the fact that the battery was small and was a a quote issue right like a you know something to think about but thanks to various improvements over time that's less of a problem anymore and i you know if you're charging your watch every night the chance of you seeing a 10 percent battery warning is very very low so they can be more um, they can be more lenient in using all the features of the watch and doing things like having a permanent power reserve mode automatically and there's still some areas where it um you know, you're still waiting for those like early generation holdbacks or limitations to be lifted. Like your classic fact that if you're on a phone call, you can't multitask at all. <laughs> you still can. Is, a, is a good example of one. You still can't. Um, you still can't do that. Even on Apple Watch Ultra, if you're on a phone call, you can't go home and check the clock or anything. You're just stuck where you are. Mm-hmm. But they're getting there slowly, gradually. They're working on it. Yep. Yep. Uh, also, this week, there's a funny situation between advanced data protection and HomePods in general. Inclu- you know, including the new HomePod, but uh, what is what is the situation? Yeah, so obviously Apple shipped advanced data protection in the US with sixteen point two at the end of the year, right? Like by the end of twenty twenty two. Yeah, and then they held off on doing it worldwide for reasons. I think they were just trial running it in America. You know, start in one region, and then if there's no issues, no big problems, we'll roll it out globally. And they're, maybe they're also waiting for some blowback from governments and stuff, although that hasn't happened yet, which is quite curious. But um, anyway, so then 16.3 came out last week uh, and they shipped advanced data protection worldwide for everybody. 
clearly with some endorsement of the fact that, oh, it's fine, it's great, everyone can do it. And then, <laughs> literally, the week before, we discovered a press release um, that was dated the week before. Saying that if you have yeah. a Yeah, a support document, sorry, not a press release. Uh, if you have a HomePod, uh, you can't update uh, with advanced data protection because it doesn't work. So, <laughs> you control both sides of this equation, Apple. You could have just held off on rolling out advanced data protection worldwide until you fixed, you know, all known issues with it. But they plowed ahead regardless. And so now they have to have support instructions just to um, uh, allow for people that are in this situation. So basically, if you have a HomePod Mini or a HomePod First Generation or a HomePod 2 that isn't shipping with update software, uh, so basically if it's running an earlier version than 16.3 so 16.2 and earlier if you update if you turn on advanced data protection on your iCloud account if it's the same iCloud account attached to the HomePod the HomePod um, basically stops working or it doesn't it doesn't connect to the internet anymore uh, which is a bit of an issue uh, so you kind of get in a state where it just can't be set up or updated so like if you're on if the HomePod's on 16.2 and then you have advanced data protection turned on on your account the HomePod will just refuse to update 6.3 um, so you get in a stuck situation. And so there's two workarounds. One is you can turn advanced data protection off, which involves, you know, relinquishing your legacy contact arrangement and your, you know, um, basically expiring the recovery key if you set one of those up. So you turn advanced data protection off on your account. Then you can update all your devices again, including the HomePod, everything's fine. Then once the HomePod's on 16.3 or later, you can then turn advanced data protection on and there shouldn't be any more problems. Or Apple says you can update... Um, with a Mac or PC, but this only applies to the HomePod Mini because the HomePod Mini has USB-C input. The HomePod first gen and HomePod second gen do not. They just have a power cable. I think the second gen power cable is detachable, but it's not a USB-C cable. It's just a normal um, power cable. So if you have a HomePod Mini, you can use the trick of, re of uh, reformatting it and updating it using the Finder, right? Because you can literally plug your HomePod Mini into a Mac or PC and then you can go in the Find or iTunes on PC and you can restore the firmware like you could uh, iPod or an iPhone back in the days. And then it's okay. But if you're trying to do an over-the-air update from 16.2 to 16.3, if you have advanced data protection on, you can't do it. So if you're out there, you're thinking about internal advanced data protection on, make sure you've updated your inputs first to uh, avoid this uh, frustration. Cool. That's the easiest way. Just make sure everything's updated first. I think if I was Apple, I would have been aware of this bug because this press this um, support document was posted a week ago right so they could have just waited a bit longer before doing it but hey yo they steamed ahead regardless and so now there's a load of people with home pods that are kind of um stuck unless they go through these awkward loopholes but at least there is a workaround but it was just a funny thing that like literally the week but well, the week ago apple's endorsing a worldwide rollout of advanced data protection meanwhile there's a kind of serious bug involving it that you can't actually update your devices very well <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Have you turned it on yet? I know you. You know we checked last episode and you hadn't, but you're thinking about it, right? I'm a lot closer. You're a lot closer. I'm a lot closer. My, my my photo download has completed. Yeah. So. I've oh, okay. So your your um your iCloud data is all in, all in all in situ now. Yeah. You're ready on, to... Honestly, like the thing I'm waiting for now is um I've got my Synology, which I think has got four terabytes twice, and I'm years ago I used it as Time Machine, and so I want to have that as Time Machine again. And then also mm. have Time Machine on another drive and then have my photos on the external drive that's connected to my computer. And then they'll be in three places. Um, and then you can turn advanced data protection on. Yeah, maybe maybe take one of those drives and put it somewhere else, you know, location-wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. 
yeah, fair, fair, fair. So yeah, that was just a funny thing where it's like, advanced state protection is here. And it's like, well, just be careful if you have unupdated home pods because you'll get a bit stuck in a chasm. We are sponsored this week by Factor. You probably have set goals for the new year, things that you want to achieve. Well, Factor can actually help you get them by saving time on cooking. Tackle everything that you have on your to-do list thanks to Factor's ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You don't need to spend time and energy on all the usual prep, chop, cooking, serving and clean up work involving with eating. And you can also skip a trip to the grocery store because it comes delivered. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy. Go to factormeals.com slash happyhour60 and use promo code happyhour60 to get 60% off your first box. Factor offers 34 meal options each week, including gourmet plus, keto, vegan, veggie, and more. You'll have you always have plenty to choose from, prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians. Each meal has all of the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. And having Factor deliver fresh, ready-made meals to your doorstep is cheaper than dining out or getting takeout. Meals are ready so much faster than waiting for a restaurant delivery in the evening. It takes just two minutes to heat up a Factor meal and then it's ready to eat. Now, Zach, I know you got a chance to try out some Factor meals, right? Yeah, I had a variety of Factor meals arrive. Um, My brother was visiting and we sort of competed on who could try them faster. Uh, And I I like meal prep help as much as I can get. but and I love a hot meal like that's so valuable in life. Um, but being able to to make a good quality meal in, in two minutes uh, is is great. So factors awesome for that. And in addition to nutritious and flavorful ready to eat meals, they also have cold pressed juices, smoothies, energy bites, veggie sides, and more you can get with your orders. Achieve and maintain your goals this year with Factor. Get America's number one ready to eat meal kit and start saving time. Eat well and live your best year ever head to factormeals.com slash happy hour 60 and use code happy hour 60 to get 60 percent off your first box that's promo code happy hour 60 at factormeals.com slash happy hour 60 to get 60 percent off your first box thanks to factor for sponsoring the show all right uh apple tv plus we're gonna, we're gonna do this now this is uh I, I like this There's a new apple tv plus ad that came out last week um it's sort of like the um, the the guy from from Mad Men, what's his name? John Ham. Yeah, John Ham. Yeah. Sort of like the John Ham Apple TV ad, where it's everyone has an Apple TV Plus show, but John Ham, and then eventually, like as we know, he got an Apple TV Plus show. It's coming. He's he's on the season three of Morning Show, right? Yeah, or what will be? Yeah, should be coming out at the end of the year, I think. Nice. Uh, and so he'll have that. So they couldn't reuse that anymore. But uh, Timothy Chalamet. that's how i say it timothy chamelman okay yep he's stars in the new one and i think it's more fun than the first the first one was fun because it was novel this one's fun because um i think it's just really well done and it's basically you know not just everyone has one but but he's talking to all these people you know celebrities who have them um different genres they show him using tv plus on like every platform you can but the web it's (laughs) <laughs> pretty pretty good <laughs> well how, how do you it's well made like yeah, it is. there's by making it by it, it, it's very it's like a very it's a very similar theme to the john ham ones uh but it's by being like self-aware about it you can get away with a lot more without it feeling too like cliche or cheesy right because like you see all these like smartphone ads or um cell phone carrier ads where they're just like holding up a phone and like swiping through an app and it feels so like 
stilted and forced and you know scripted because it is right but whereas if you take the approach that they've done in these ads it's much more like almost laughing at themselves in a way for like you know obsessing way too much about having so many star so many stars <laughs> heading their shows but at the same time it's like impressive it's like oh he's got a show she's got a show you know he's on here uh in in this um call me uh, ad with uh chalamet he calls up um jason momoa on like facetime and jason momoa's like oh i've just finished my new apple show you know <laughs> hinting that he's already done one iec and he's just finished uh filming another one and then uh Chalamet's like, you've got an Apple, new Apple show? And he's like, who doesn't? And it's like making a joke that Chalamet's, you know, obviously not got a, a TV Plus project attached yet. And it's just a really well-made commercial. They take a joke, they they take the mick out of um, Jason Sudeikis wearing Ted Lasso because he sees like a banner, he sees like a billboard where it's like, you know, best comedy um, right from the enemies, uh, Ted Lasso. And then he's watching it on his phone at like a press conference and he's just like... It's just Sudeikis with a mustache, you know. It's like it's just a funny, it's just a funny self-aware thing, and you don't see many Apple ads that are like so joking at themselves because they're not really that kind of company, right? They're much more serious and refined, and like, you, like you wouldn't see an iPhone ad where like they're joking about, you know, the the port changing or whatever. Like it just doesn't <laughs> happen. Port change. On, yeah, do, do you know what I mean though? Like, whereas uh, with these TV Plus ads, they've really like kind of doubled down on it. But I think it's a good vehicle, and it shows they've got um, willingness to do what they need to do to get it in the in the public mindset. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a good ad, and it seems to be doing pretty well for them. It's got like millions of views on YouTube and stuff already. So, in terms of like brand awareness, it's a it's a nice continuation. Do you think that because John Hamm went from TV Plus ad to TV Plus show, that this will happen for? probably i mean (laughs) even if it's not like because he was on the ad he'll then get a thing like apple's literally slurping up whoever they can for tv plus shows and chalamet's definitely in the category of actor that they would chase down Mm -hmm. um obviously right now chalamet hasn't been in tv he only does movies but you know apple brings out the brings out the checkbook for uh anyone they can get that's a big name like Mm -hmm. literally tomorrow or today when the show goes out they have uh, harrison ford starring in a comedy so uh, they can they can get the big names where when they want them so yeah chalamet will be in an apple project soon enough i'm sure mm-hmm. and we also had the oscar nominations this week obviously last year around um apple won <laughs> best picture with coda which is also featured in that chalamet commercial at the beginning a nice uh, tie in there uh, this time around apple's film slate wasn't quite good enough really to make a dent uh, they got two nominations total uh one for the animated short which is the one that came out on christmas day the the boy the fox the horse and the mole that one and they also got a supporting actor nomination for brian terry henry who stars in causeway uh, apple film that came out at the end of last year uh, but nothing on terms of like the top line you know best picture nomination best director etc like their film rollout or film schedule or film slate is still very bumpy and like they're with the inconsistency of it let's say it's unlikely that they can really achieve um oscar you know top level uh prestige oscar nominations every single year i'm sure that's what they want to get to but in what they've done to date it just wasn't going to happen and you ask most people around like the end of last year were they going to get any uh, oscar 2023 presents and most people said no the obvious like their only real chance at a massive win was emancipation and before you know the slap situation they were obviously going to go all guns blazing on that but because of the slap situation the whole film's a bit tainted so it didn't really get any recognition at all um but whatever like they 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 over index they overachieved last year by getting the best picture nomination and then win 
Um, so they could take a year off and I'm sure their slate for next year's Oscars will be much stronger because they have the new Scorsese movie etc etc yeah as Timothy would say I was nominated for Best Picture didn't win though yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, and yet also it was Sundance Festival this week every single year Apple's picked up a film at Sundance their Coda won that was picked up from Sundance that was a 25 million dollar deal last year they bought um, Cha Cha Real Smooth which was 50 million dollar deal wasn't quite as successful as code in terms of audience reception but still a decent film and this time around they've picked up flora and son uh, for about 20 million dollars so that will be part of their 2023 slate probably come out in the in the summer so you can look out for that all right uh some follow-up timothy chalamet was in an episode of law and order in 2009 that's a tv show now oh, before he was famous <laughs> yeah yeah he was in four yeah. episodes of royal pains in 2012 and then to top it off, he was in eight episodes of Homeland in 2012. So really, wow! I watched Homeland. I thought Homeland was good. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember Chalamet in it. 11... He was probably a kid at that. Like he was probably a really young kid at that point, unrecognizable. He's 27 yeah. now, so 11 years ago, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, obviously his recent career um, has been uh, much more successful in terms of film. Right. Yeah. Uh, MacBook Pro, empty MacBook Pro. They're available Ava- are they out yet like you can go buy them yeah, yeah they started shipping on yesterday okay so people can buy them obviously the, re- the reviews are out which is the, f- the first thing to just discuss about this so what are the reviews saying yeah so the reviews you can understandably um guess are you know the the general formula of a spec back update which is fine there weren't any crazy downsides or um gotchas so this is kind of what we expected the one thing that i did want to kind of uh discuss on this show quickly was the fact that when we were talking last week about the core count um, changes, so the fact that you get that the M1, uh, the M1 Pro and M1 Max CPUs have ten cores, and the M2 Pro and M2 Max CPUs have twelve cores, so you get an extra core bump. I did want to point out that the extra two cores you do get, which I didn't talk about last week, are efficiency cores, not performance cores. So now you have a chip which has um, four efficiency cores and eight performance cores, whereas last year you had. Uh, two performance two efficiency cores and eight performance cores so in terms of the balance and distribution of of the silicon usage they have indexed more towards efficiency Uh, that being said the efficiency core name is a bit of a misnomer because these chips are very fast and i think they you know are faster than many of the intel cores that they replaced right ignoring the performance cores altogether so you still get good performance out of them but you can see where they've decided to um, spend their kind of power budget for this cycle for this generation mostly on efficiency that probably contributes to why they can tout an extra hour of battery life on both models etc etc um uh, but but overall the performance and gains and they've did and the reviews came out with some benchmarks and some speed test comparisons on X Final Cut Xbox and stuff and you know you're getting decent twenty percent improvements in most cases which is nothing to sneeze at at all so in uh, I'd say pretty solid uh, updates all around when we're in a um, quite a year in terms of architectural change right like because the M2 it's mostly just like a souped up M1 uh, in terms of architectural design. The M3 with the uh, fabrication size reduction and bigger architecture changes, maybe including like the ray tracing GPU that the information talked about, you know, uh, that will be a make a bigger, like flashier update uh, next year. But for the M2 generation, a very respectable year over year improvement over the M1. So uh, very good. It doesn't seem like the machines um, have much of terms in terms of thermal difference. People did say that when they're cranking them on Macs, like running Cinebench benchmarks, you know, really trying to stress them out, that the Max temperatures are a bit higher than the M1 comparison. 
um, part, probably just because there's more cores involved on both the CPU and the GPU front. But in terms of normal use, people were saying that the, the machines are still just as silent. The fans don't kick on uh, very much at all unless you are literally running them full pedal, which is quite rare and quite quite hard to do in a non-artificial benchmark environment. So that's fine. Um, and then the other thing is the SSD situation. Just like the, uh, quote, scandal that happened with the MacBook Air, the empty MacBook Air last summer, these uh, chips are the same where they've changed the composition of SSD NAND chips. So if you have the base model, you'll get slower SSD speeds than the comparable M1 generation just because they've gone from having multiple chips to having just one or, um, or whatever. So the SSDs, if you look at the lower end storage speeds, are slower than the previous generation. I believe if you get the higher spec um, storage, they're slightly faster. But again, the difference in speed is not... So obviously it's always nice to be as fast as possible, but uh, the diff the speed reduction here is not something that I would worry about if you're buying one. Like buy the storage that you want based on how much storage you need. Don't worry about the speed. And, and the, the, the price of it all, enough. right? Yeah, the budget. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, um, so that's the MacBook Pro. Yeah. And then the Mac Mini, um, just unsurprisingly, but it's worth pointing out, people have done teardowns and. The M2 Mac Mini, obviously, external chassis design looks the same as the M1, and it looks the same as the Mac Mini's released for many, many, many years, even though Apple Silicon would allow for miniaturization. And we saw almost hilariously with the M1 generation that you'd open up an M1 Mac Mini and there'd be a tiny little logic board and then a whole load of empty space because the M1 Mac Mini was just really small in terms of the actual components needed in terms of the M1 chip, etc. Um, because that, that's what fits an iPad, and a Mac Mini's huge. Uh, you come to the M2 generation, yet again, the M2 Mac Mini... Uh, has a load of empty space inside it which suggests they could do a a much smaller mac mini in terms of physical shape if they really wanted to invest the time in making a new chassis uh, but they don't they came with the same chassis uh the the motherboard the logic board layout is almost identical to the m1 generation it's just obviously now got an m2 chip there for the m2 pro model uh slightly more of the internal space is used although there's still plenty of free space that they could have done a smaller version if they wanted to um and the chip's bigger and there's more of a redesign in terms of the logic board layout but in general uh, if you were think if you're on the board of people who want really really small Macs, uh, there's clearly headroom for Apple to do one if they wanted to invest the time into making a super small one. But I think they're kind of happy just with the Mac Mini as it is. Make it a bit cheaper, give it a spec bump. Like the fact they made it cheaper again this year, and um, you know hundred dollars less, it, it it dissuades so much of the angst that I'd have about it otherwise. Because sure. you make it cheaper, you can get away with just doing spec bumps. Mm. You know, like. They, they, obviously, the MacBook Pro is not due for a, a, a design change because they only did it a little year before. But the Mac Mini is getting, you know, it's getting older now in terms of it looking the same year after year after year after year. And you don't have to change the design just to make stuff fancy and cool. But it's clearly obvious that with all this internal space, they could make one that was a lot smaller if they really, really wanted to. But if you make it cheaper instead, that's more than enough compensation. You compare it to something like the HomePod, right, where they didn't actually change the price at all from when they previously introduced it and they just introduced the exact same thing or maybe slightly worse um that's a that's a different you can have a different argument about that but for the mac mini if you make it 100 dollars cheaper than the one you released a year ago and it's faster i i'm not complaining yeah and, and the mac mini of all the things that were announced last week the mac mini the base model is the one thing that i'm, I'm gonna buy in a few weeks um and i'm framing oh, wow. yeah i'm framing it as my 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 daughter turns 10 in february i'm framing it as um her birthday because i asked her if she wanted a a new iPad, like the yellow or pink iPad, or a Mac, and because she she she's got an account on my MacBook Air, but you know it's it's um I, I don't love that. <laughs> 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 um, so 
and there are benefits of like, like a Mac mini, you know, and always on Mac mini for me, I can have um, my photo library, can't get to external storage and have that be, you know, local and then backing up to time machine and then have my MacBook air return to having it as, um, you know, make room for, for photos and everything else. So optimize storage. Um, so it's, it's kind of a win-win, but I wouldn't just spend 500 or $600 on myself for a Mac mini as a priority. But when I, you know, it's kind of T birds, one stone situation where, you know, I, I would have bought her a new iPad for her 10th birthday. Um, but she talked, we talked about it and she really would prefer a Mac, even if it's a desktop. So, um, she's super excited about it. And I was kind of proud as like, you know, nine to five Mac, you know, Mac dad is like, you're getting her in the fam in the, in the Mac family. Yeah. Cause yeah. I, I kind of think of like, oh, Mac OS is like not legacy, but like, you know, it's, you're not, you're not bringing up new, new people. It's on, not what the kids want. Yeah. That way. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so, uh, I, I guess there's familiarity with using, you know, laptops and desktops in school and even with Chromebooks. And so, um, she did something on my MacBook air last week that I thought was just nuts, but, um, maybe it's just normal for kids, but, um, she had printed out permission slips uh, <laughs> and cut them up and like they looked official and it wasn't like permission to like do something. It was, um, it was a form to fill out to uh, have your friend's parents contact information so that if you're best friends with someone at school, then the two parents could connect and then the kids could, you know, hang out or whatever, or be in communication. Um, and I thought they were from the school because she cut she cut them up to the right size, and she wrote the names of the friends on them, and I ended up giving them to her mom because I was like, I'm not gonna deal with that. I don't want to talk to her friend's parents, and and then she ended up like saying, Oh, I made those. <laughs> I was like, What? <laughs> um, so, who knows what potential there could be for her on a on a Mac? Um, but one thing she's like, the first thing she asked was like, Can I make videos? And Yes, you can you can edit videos. So um, I, I'm kind of excited about like the next phase of her technology adoption. So yeah, there'll, there'll be one here. It'll be the base model, and and uh, yeah, I'll let you know when, when it comes. That's cool. That's cool. Yep, HomePod stuff. Yes. So almost hilariously, with the with the carbon copy HomePod that's about to come out next week. Uh, they're also completely copying the release rollout strategy because <laughs> just like the original, they got some members of the press in a special room that, um, you know, it's top secret, and they let them listen to the second generation HomePod uh, using some of the exact same sample songs they did first time around, like Hotel California. Um, so they had select press in a controlled environment, listen to the songs. Obviously, they want people to write up that it sounds amazing, blah, 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 blah. But I just thought it was so funny that it's li- they literally did the exact same thing when they first announced the HomePod back in 2017 and then it goes under the goes under the cover of um secrecy for a few more weeks before it actually ships uh but they there was a couple of write-ups and some of them saying it sounds the same as the HomePod some are saying it sounds better but practically it probably sounds about the same people that said it sounds better are just kind of um whipped up in the excitement of going to somewhere secretive and listening to a HomePod uh, under yeah. some sort of you know official embargo situation uh but it does sound like Although Apple didn't let them do side-by-side comparisons in this control environment, you know, people's ears aren't that unreliable. It probably sounds basically the same as the original, even though it has two less tweeters or whatever. Did they literally so. play Hotel California again? They literally played Hotel California. And they played that song in 2017 as well. Right, exactly, that, yeah. Those private demos. So there's got to be irony in, like, you can never leave. And... You can never leave. <laughs> the HomePod, it's like um, Groundhog Day. The same HomePod design, just a different day of the week. Yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> And then 16.3 came out, 
which um, obviously has some you know plethora of features for HomePod users. Uh, my I don't have a HomePod Mini, but my uh, family did. Some of my family do. So I went around there. We installed it because I was like, oh, you'll be able to get the temperature in your room now. And it's like, oh, that sounds cool. So we installed it. Uh, obviously, it's meant to take a little while to calibrate. So we waited around. And then um, nothing happened. Okay. Come back the next day. Surely it's done, but no, nothing's there. Uh, this appears to be a issue, some sort of software bug where you can update, but the HomePod won't actually report, the HomePod Mini won't report the temperature or humidity unless you like re-add it or something or you like start a home over and over again. So uh, we don't want to measure the temperature so desperately in this particular room that we've gone to any nuclear thing like that at the moment, but it is just a thing to be aware of that you can install the update, you can wait for it to calibrate the sensor, but you still want to actually see the reading in the home app for reasons. Uh, so keep waiting, I guess, and it'll eventually show up. But it doesn't it doesn't seem to be super reliable in appearing. Some people it appears after the, you know, half an hour, hour calibration. Other people, like in our case, uh, it just doesn't show up in the home app at all. So, mm. And some remedies include, like, unremo- removing the HomePod Mini from the home and re-adding it and, you know, starting a new home over again, but... We've just we've just uh, taken the we'll just keep waiting strategy at this point. But if it gets down to it, I guess we'll just uh, remove the HomePod and reset. It's it's like you've got to wear it to bed for several nights. It's like the watch, the way you've got to (laughs) figure out here. (laughs) Yeah, and let's put it this way: we've had the HomePod Mini in that room for you know eighteen months, and it's never told the temperature before. So we can we can afford to wait a bit longer. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this I've looked it up on the on the Reddit and stuff, and other people having this exact same situation where it's just not showing up. And then a feature that I do get to try on my personal HomePods, first generation um, and second generation when they ship uh, next week, fingers crossed, uh, is the chime change. So this is where if you are asking the HomePod to complete a HomeKit request, if you're talking about accessories that are in a different room to the room that the HomePod's assigned to, in previous uh, up versions of the operating system, it would say like, okay, I've changed the li- I've turned on the lights in kitchen. Um, because it assumes you can't see them, so it wants to tell you affirmatively that the change has gone through. If you ask it about lights in the current room, it just stays silent because it knows you're in the room and you can see them. But a lot of people complained, quite rightly, that it was kind of annoying that you ask it to turn things on in other rooms and it would, you know, uh, speak out this verbose paragraph when you really just want it to shut up and get on with it. So what they've done in 6.3 is they've made it now so it doesn't say a big long uh, wall of text, it just makes a little noise, it just has a little chime. A little chime. Uh, I've heard the chime. It, it's functional. It does the job. You know, you ask it to do it in a different room, and it goes ding, and it's done. But I will say I was slightly disappointed at the quality of the chime because I feel like a lot of the other noises the HomePod makes, like when a timer's going off or when someone's phoning you or that kind of thing, they're like really cool sounds. Or when you when you set the HomePod up for the first time and it does that like introductory noise, it's like wow, that sounds cool. Uh, this chime sounds very mediocre. It's, it does the job, but it, it, it doesn't fill you with joy. It's a very nondescript noise. It's just it's not even as fun as like it, it kind of sounds like a knockoff of the Apple Pay noise. You know when you do the app the really satisfying noise when you buy something and you get the Apple Pay the Apple Pay for Bing. Uh, it's like that, but worse. So there you go. Only you could review the sound in that situation. Uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and and just a, a funny little footnote on that is that that noise also now happens on the phone. So it's not just a HomePod change. If you ask the phone to do a HomeKit request, rather than, and you're doing it via the um, Hello Siri command that makes it speak back to you, uh, well, now it will just do the noise instead. So it's not just on the HomePod itself. But yeah, Apple, come on. 
you have great sound designers. That one was not was not your best work. Happy Hour This Week is also brought to you by PIA. Your internet service provider can know literally everything about what you do online. It's like giving your laptop to a stranger and open up your browsing history for all to see. And that's just one of the reasons why you should use a VPN when you go online. And I want to tell you about one of the best VPNs out there and easily one of the most affordable ones that I've seen. PIA. Sign up at piavpn.com slash happy hour. PIA stands for Private Internet Access. As you might be able to tell from the name, they take privacy seriously. PIA hides your IP address and encrypts your entire connection. That means no one can see what you're doing online. Not your ISP, not network admins, not any hackers on the Wi-Fi, nobody. PIA never record or store user data and their no logs policy has even been verified in court. And you also get endless entertainment options. Virtually change your location and access content on streaming services on streaming services that would normally be geolocked. You can connect to a VPN hosted on over 83 countries around the world and there's a dedicated server for every US state. And just one membership can protect up to 10 of your devices at the same time. What I love about PA is just how easy it is. It's great as there's basically no setup as they have apps for all Apple devices. So on my iPhone, for instance, I just downloaded the app, signed in, and the app sets up everything you uh, everything up for you, all the random VPN profiles and stuff. It just does it on your behalf. And all that means is then you just press the big power on button in the app. That's one button pressed to connect securely through the VPN and you're done. And when you're finished, you just press the same button and turn it off. It's, it's so easy. PIA has over 30 million downloads. See for yourself how it makes browsing so much better. Right now, go to piavpn.com slash happy hour to get a whopping 82% off your VPN service plus four three free months with a two-year plan. It comes out to around two bucks a month. You can't beat that. And there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's piavpn.com slash happy hour for 82% off private internet access one more time piavpn.com slash happy hour thanks to pia for sponsoring the show all right uh this september apple will, will surely announce the iphone 15 family of phones and the iphone 15 pro really? <laughs> yes wow i didn't expect that uh-huh and the iphone 15 pro uh it, it's starting to sort of shape up in terms of how it will look the design and everything um which isn't going to be a clone of last year, it seems. So that's that's kind of kind of nice. Uh, what what are what are what are the rumors saying about the iPhone 15 Pro design? Yeah, so the 15s, not the Pros, mm. will probably look the same, but they'll get a dynamic island design. So they'll get um, the 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 punch hole and and I can't the pill. What do we even call it anymore? The the, the hole in the pill. I don't know. The punch hole and the, I can't. Yeah, we, pun- we spoke about this all over last year. I've forgotten it already. It was pill plus punch hole or hole punch, depending on who you ask. Yeah, okay, so now it's, yeah, whole punch plus pill, but obviously disguising software to look like one black pill. So that's coming with the iPhone 15, The but the, the chassis design will probably look about the same. But for the iPhone 15 Pro, you're going to get a new design externally. Um, Shimp Apple Pro this week said, who has a decent record of accuracy, he said to expect thinner bezels um, and beautifully curved edges. So what we're kind of anticipating here is something like what the MacBook Pros look like, where... You know, it's a boxier design than like the um, the curved edges of like the iPhone XS that that cycle, but it's still rounded on the edges. Whereas right now, the iPhone 14, 13, 12 are quite flat on the edges. But imagine a more curved design where maybe the screen meets the curve of the glass, 
kind of harkening back to like an iPhone 6 style design or maybe the current Apple Watch, but some combination of like Apple Watch Maverick Pro aesthetic in terms of hardware and the band that goes around the sides is currently made out of stainless steel. We expect that to change to titanium material. Help with the so, weight. Yeah, so that will help with the weight and it sh- will look slightly different too, give you, a different, give you a different visual. So that's kind of cool. So we'll get like a, a kind of blend because they it always seems at the moment is apple kind of flip-flops between going to square flat edges and curved edges and they've gone back and forth a few times and now what we seem to be getting is kind of a somewhere in between the last time they were curved and right now where they're completely squared off so i think something like the MacBook pro if you look at like the side of a MacBook pro how it kind of rounds off on the side mm-hmm. um even but the screen will remain completely flat it's just the kind of the edges and the sides where it'd be slightly more curved whereas right now it's quite harshly square um I don't think there's any like ergonomic or or you know surefire. This one squares better than flat, or, or or curves better than flat, or vice versa. It's just all a fashion thing. And Apple moves around every few years, and now we're getting a slight di- um, diversion as well to a slightly different design. Um, but I'm 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 all for it. Like the iPhones look the same for a few years now. It's it's nice to change it up a bit, and the fact that it's going to be reserved to the promo models only fits in with what we've been hearing about Apple wanting to further delineate and distinguish the baseline from the pro lines to make them more unique yeah pro continues to be the new flagship of the year and then you've also got the not thousand dollar phones yeah (laughs) they also they they the iphone 15 is a phone in our lineup it is it is yeah it will be at least um so that's that's interesting i wonder if we'll ever get to the teardrop shape that uh before there was the verge there was this is my next between in, in gadget and the verge and um, there was that prominent, not actual, uh, rumor of an iPhone 5, it became the 4S, uh, and it was thin at the bottom, and it thickened at the top, and it was referred to as the teardrop um, design. And it looked cool in the mock-ups. It looked cool in the mock-ups. Uh, it looks dated uh, now. It, was, it doesn't... The problem with that was, is that it kind of fit with the trend of the iPhones always getting thinner. True. But now that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Like... So the, the the teardrop design was right around the iPhone 5, right? Mm-hmm. And then the iPhone 5 got thinner. The iPhone 6 got thinner. I th- believe the 6S got even slightly thinner. No, the 6S was the one which started getting thicker yeah. because they added 3D touch. Mm-hmm. So all the way up to the iPhone 6, the phones were getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And it just felt like the trajectory was to get to some sort of teardrop design. To iPod level. Thinner still. Yeah. yeah, even less volume. Um, but what actually happened is the phones started getting thicker again. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, 6S got a millimeter thicker, 7 got a little bit thicker, 8 got a lot thicker in the name of adding battery life and other features, right? But mostly for just putting a bigger battery in there. And then the iPhone 10, 11, 12, they got even, you know, thicker and heavier still. Uh, the 14s kind of like evened off a bit compared to the 13s. Uh, but still, if you feel like a, you compare in your hand like an iPhone 14 compared to an iPhone 6, the weight difference is pretty severe. And it would be nice if they could get slightly closer back down to the iphone 6 kind of equilibrium uh but i don't know if they're going to do that because they they the battery life is like a top spec for them now like it, back in the iphone 6 days they wouldn't tout the battery life at all because it wasn't the best in the world you know it wasn't fantastic so it was just kind of like yeah the battery will get you most of the way through the day yeah we won't really talk about it but now when they announce a new phone what do they talk about they talk about the screen they talk about the camera and they talk about the battery life and so i don't really think there's a way back because you know, battery chemistry isn't advancing quick enough to make us be able to go to super thin phones again anytime soon mm-hmm. if you want to keep the same battery life stance. Yeah. So the new- teardrop design feels even more sci-fi than it did in 
2012. Yeah, the new teardrop, though, is to go from the camera mount bump thickness to the bottom of the phone, which is gradual, pretty pretty dramatic change there. Um, do you think that this, this uh, new design language that the iPhone 15 Pro sounds like it will introduce is what the next iPad Pro overhaul will do? Because the, the phones, I feel like the iPad Pro in 2018 began this, um, you know, Squared off look. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah, because the, the MacBook Pro obviously was 2021, right? That redesign. But it, it was not a direct copy of the iPad because the iPad's like dead square. Yeah. And the phone is pretty dead square. The MacBook Pro is more rounded because it's bigger and thicker. Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine that when it's time for the iPad Pro to get another redesign, Presumably, they're going to want to fashion it up a bit. So, yeah, I guess it will go from straight square to more rounded square yeah. um, and match the phone. Yeah, so I reckon you're right. Because yeah. we've heard that the big iPad revamp is coming in 20, next year, 2024. That's where it's going to get, you know, some sort of wireless charging feature and some other stuff and a visual, like, chass- chassis redesign, maybe an even bigger version, you know, like a 15-inch iPad or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of aesthetics, in terms of chassis aesthetics... They're already at square, so they have to go back to some sort of curve, I think. So, yeah, probably the iPhone and the iPad will look similar. Cool. Just a bigger version. Yeah, I'd agree with that. All right. And then uh, moving... There's no rumor to say that's going to happen, obviously. We just started it. um, Yeah, yeah, you've just started it. And the iPads next year are supposedly going to be OLED screens. So whatever they're doing with the bezel and the curve, they can probably reuse for the the iPhone and the iPad. There you go. Terrific. Nice. It's all slotting into place. Titanium as well. I don't know. (laughs) Titanium iPad. Yeah, I don't know about that part. But, uh. Let's go into uh, Apple Reality headset. Pro headset land. Uh, We're in the alternate reality. Yeah, Mark, Mark Gurman had one of his classic, like, this is the most thorough, comprehensive, and new information reports on the, the, the headset. Um, so break down what that Bloomberg report included. Yes, yeah, so obviously it does repeat a lot of what we've been hearing because we seem to have um, reached a consensus on what to expect. Somewhere around the spring or summer, Apple will be announcing a two to three thousand dollar headset that will do augmented reality and virtual reality um it will have an external battery pack that that stays around the waist or in your pocket you wear the headset and you can use it for a few hours at a time uh, and then it needs a new battery it will do stuff uh but it's not expected to be a mass consumer product because mostly the price is very prohibitive uh, and it will be announced around the spring or summer and then released at the end of the year. Is basically what the consensus we've reached between the Bloomberg reports, the information reports, and some other places. But what was interestingly new in Mark's latest reporting was uh, some details about exactly like how the UI works and controls. So we've been hearing that Apple does isn't going to ship with controllers because a lot of like the you know the other headsets on the market they come with like controllers that you hold in your hand. Or they have like, you know, like nunchuck style controllers, kind of like an old Wii. Um, well, Apple is going to not ship any controllers at all. They're relying on eye and hand tracking um, to do gestures. And so the, the headset will have about a dozen cameras in it that will look at where your hands are. And they'll have internal sensors to read the user's eye position. Um, and so what German says is that the UI will be driven basically entirely by eyes and hand movements. So you'll be able to look move your eyes around and look at UI elements and then you can hover over UI element just by looking at it 
and then you can pinch your thumb and index finger together to basically select it. So you could like select an app icon or you know activate some task literally without having to hold anything in your hand. So this kind of reminds me of like the iPhone pitch where like Steve Jobs is like, who wants a stylus? Nobody wants a stylus. Where are you going to use our fingers? And so this time around again, you know, history repeating itself. Who wants to have a control in your hand when you can just do it by looking and tapping your fingers together? So I think this sounds pretty neat. Um, and it's obviously taking advantage of the fact that they're going to be shipping way more hardware inside this headset than competing ones that just rely on you holding a controller. Um, in terms of the software side, uh, Gurn basically describes an iOS-style app grid. So similar to the iPhone home screen, you will have a layout on the headset with app icons and widgets, and you can rearrange them. And like I said, if you want to select an app icon, you just look at it and then tap your fingers together, and it will know what you're looking at precisely and be able to activate it. So... Uh, he, he, you know, there's 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 wiggle room here for it to be less like an iPhone home screen because I think in some ways you could charitably describe the Apple Watch as an iPhone home screen experience before it came out, if you know what I mean. And then when it shipped, it's like okay, it's slightly more different because it's you know like a honeycomb layout, and you know you have the clock face first. So imagine that kind of analogy in this environment. It might not be literally just like a straight grid, um, because remember it's 3D, so they'll probably have a slightly different layout. But that general, that general direction of you have home screen with app icons and widgets, and then you can click on things to enter the experiences. Um, it sounds pretty cool to me. Uh, I like the idea that you don't have to have a controller, although if they are going to do games on the headset, like 3D games, the the issue you have with no controller at all is that you don't have joysticks to move around, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't really want to be using your head to control a camera and because you can look around with a headset, but then how do you like walk forward? You can't walk forward in a physical space sure. forever yeah. because you're stuck in a room, right? That's four by four or whatever. So you kind of need a controller of some description uh, if you are doing like a full 3D game. But I think one... Apple is going to deprioritize that, at least for this first generation of headset, and they're going to focus on other things um, and other experiences. And then secondly, you probably be able to pair a game controller with the headset, just like you can pair an Xbox or PlayStation controller with an iPhone, yeah, iPad, or Apple yeah. TV today. It just means that Apple doesn't need to prioritize making their own. So like, what they're investing in is the, you know, the, the eye tracking, the hand tracking, the, the, the finger gestures kind of thing. And then if you do happen to you know, have some all-encompassing vr game um you know like half-life alex or something to give an example of a really good vr game that exists today if you want to run that on your headset then they'll be like well you have to get an external controller just look at the apple tv right it comes with a remote that is not very good for playing games on they expect you to pair a controller to it if you want to so i think that's kind of how it's going to be positioned where you can do simple games obviously just doing hand and eye tracking and gestures but if you're doing like proper games that some people will inevitably make and ship and maybe some apple arcade games will make their way to the headset too uh you'll be expected to bring your own controller yeah i, I was yeah before you mentioned the xbox and playstation compatibility i was going to say they'll, they'll just throw this to still series you know they did that with the, the tv originally as well yeah um, yeah they have like an mfi controller program as well obviously yeah, yeah which yeah. which they can certainly do again but um yeah best case scenario just if you've got a console controller then then pair that and, and you've got something you, you, like, or, or they could do um, like gestures, like lean your head down a little bit, or, or like a gesture with your head, and that could initiate going forward. You know, there's lots of things they could do there, but that's 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 fascinating. Yeah, and, and the like the finger tracking, eye tracking thing sounds pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Like, not saying it's it's not like a a thing that makes you buy the product, but I can feel like it makes for a pretty cool experience. Yeah, I think and... I think we should say from from here on out, 
until we say otherwise, we only talk about this thing as a thing that will exist and not as a thing that, like, if we praise it, that we're going to buy. Cause yeah, like, a thing can be cool it just and, and not be worth buying. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, yes. There's plenty of things in the world that are very cool, but they're also very expensive, so nobody buys them. Yeah. So I think the headset is very much in that frame of reference. Uh, maybe, I mean, I think it's highly unlikely, but they could come out with it, and it's, like, really cheap, but I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um but because uh, we've already spoke about how they're already planning to do like cheaper versions the year after whatnot this is going to be expensive and in fact in this report german says that it's going to be expensive in that 2003 to three $3,000 price range despite the fact that apple will not be making a profit they're actually going to sack their margin and even while sacking their margin the thing is still in the three thousand dollar price tag range so it's not like it's a you know a fifteen hundred dollar headset that they're taking their usual 50 percent margin on um, like like they do with AirPods, for instance, uh, they they are sacking most of their profitability for a product that they think is only going to sell about a million in the first year uh, and make no money on it. So mm-hmm. they're investing in the long term, uh, but it just the, the amount of technology they're packing into this headset means that it just costs close to three grand, mm-hmm. and that's the reality. Yeah. Uh, Digital Crown is also touted as a big thing here so similar to what you see on the apple watch or on the airpods max right they have a little digital crown on the airpods max 2 mm-hmm. the headset will have a digital crown style dial and that's be how you switch between ar and vr so the vr mode will obviously fully immerse the wearer but the user will be able to like turn the dial and change into the augmented reality experience where the content where the surrounding environment um fades away Oh, like the the world fade the content the the vr content fades away and the user becomes surrounded by the real world with some stuff augmented on it and german's described this as one of the features apple hopes would be a highlight of the product so if that works seamlessly that will also be a really cool thing to try this kind of you know when they introduced the apple watch and uh they they touted the digital crown as like the next great input method like there was the the, the the mouse that was touched and then now there's a digital crown because on the watch it's you, you don't have to interact with the screen for everything you 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 can scroll a list or you know pan and zoom around a map um, with the crown without obstructing the the, the screen with your your finger um, bringing it to the AirPods Max for volume I'm not sure quite meets that bill but if they can like you said you know lean on that for this to make it different from other products then then th- that does justify the almost 10 years ago statement of like this is the next great input method <laughs> in history <laughs> yeah yeah it, it helps with their uh, marketing of the digital crowns <laughs> the future of the world yeah uh, which was always uh, which sounded weird the moment tim cook said it yes. but we got we got what they were going for yes um in terms of text input uh, apparently for the first version it will be relying on voice input so you know you talk to it it transcribes or you'll be able to pick up a, like a phone and type on a keypad on there or on a mac or something and it will just take the text to the headset but for the future versions apple is developing a technology that will be able to read uh, basically let users type in midair and then read the letters as if you were typing on a physical keyboard but you just float in midair and you type but that won't be ready for the first version that's something they're still working on true um, truly then, a magic keyboard there when it's- that would truly be a magic keyboard yeah i've given that uh, and then quite interestingly german says that the big hero feature that apple's really going for with this is realistic um, video conferencing with avatars so up to now it kind of been described that you would have like a, a, a facetime experience using memoji because obviously if you're in a headset you can't do video chat because your your head's covered and obstructed by the headset so you have to do 
um you know metaverse style memoji avatar experiences that's why when you do that's why facebook has horizon worlds for the meta quest right and apple was up to now described as doing like a memoji style thing for um they're they're like one-on-one uh or you know uh, conferencing within the headset but what german says is that apple's actually going to be doing realistic they've got enough they've got enough gpu power inside this headset to be able to realistically model a human like torso and head and you'll be able to have convincingly accurate um conversations one-on-one with somebody else as if they were in the room with you mm-hmm. uh, that's something that no other headset attempts to do today they all go for the more cartoony avatar approach because it's way less uh, strenuous on the graphics side uh, and there are like there's like a there's like a um a uncanny valley problem where you have to be so close to correct to make to make the human brain be convinced that you're talking to an actual person if you try and make it look photorealistic whereas if you go for an avatar that uncanny valley thing kind of disappears because people sure. know that you're just talking to a thing but if they can pull this off that'd be really impressive that'd be really cool uh german says this takes so much gpu power that it will only apply for one-on-one conversations if you're doing a group you know ar facetime call then it will degrade to a more classical memoji experience or you'll just have like one realistic avatar and then just like profile pictures sure, essentially yeah. but for one-on-one com- conversation supposedly the apple headset will be able to do like a realistic depiction of your head and use all the sensors to convey expressions and everything including your legs so it will do a full body experience so that'd be really cool to see if they can pull that off yeah, pretty pretty um, comprehensive. So, the battery pack situation remains, and I think what is the estimate there? Maybe two hours per battery pack. Two hours, yeah. yeah. Is there any is there any built-in battery power on board, based on rumors or reporting? German says that there have been some prototypes with included batteries, but he believes the shipping version will not having not have included batteries. Okay, is there any update on AirPods required for speaker? Uh, AirPods are required. Okay, AirPods are required um and they, they they will be they will be built-in speakers but apple expects people when you're doing like pride. spatial audio ex, audio experiences they expect you to wear airpods yeah, yeah and, for, and for better privacy i imagine and so um and then lastly there what is the origin of the headset will show your eyes on the outside of the screen uh, so that was originally reported from the information from wayne ma i think i think maybe yeah uh, from two years ago approximately and the idea there was that this was apparently something that Johnny Ive requested because he didn't want Apple to create... And, and again, this is just going off the anecdote. This could be completely off base compared to reality, right? But supposedly the justification was he didn't want Apple to make technology that cuts people off from the world. So a compromise was made where Apple would make an outward-facing screen that would show the user's eyes to people near you. So the idea was that you're not being shut off from the world because the headset will still show the person's face to other people nearby by looking at by basically looking at the video of the person's actual eyes and retransmitting them through screens that you could then look at which sounds like a ridiculous thing that will never look good and looks incredibly stupid but apparently that's what they're going with um john gruber this week had a report that said that this was like a joke inside of the division and never was seriously meant to be a shipping feature but the information and bloomberg continue to report it as a thing that is actually shipping so uh if you believe Gruber, then it's not happening. But if you believe the other people, then it is happening. So All right. seems like it's happening. Cool. We'll see. Yeah. Oh. So some of those 14,000 cameras will be used just to reproject your eyes to people near you. Which sounds like a bizarre thing that will never look good. But I guess we'll find out relatively soon. Mm-hmm. So yeah, based on the, especially the one-on-one avatar thing, the realistic avatars, that, that gives this product a reason for existence that I don't think it had before in the rumor mill right like 
that's something so unique and so new that no one else is doing it right now and it's the kind of thing that like facebook said they want to do eventually but they're nowhere close to actually pulling off right so if they can ship if apple can ship something like that this this year that would be really cool not saying it um that's enough to make it be a successful product because i don't think it will be but uh in terms of like pushing the state of the art forward that's something that that it feels like they could achieve using apple silicon and using all their smarts and stuff and that would be nice to see so i'm looking forward to seeing that in action all right finally this week happy hour is brought to you by pillow more and more studies are showing that getting a good night's sleep improves your health and well-being in more ways than you can imagine and pillow is an all-in-one sleep tracking app to help you be more aware of your sleep patterns and discover what might be affecting your sleep quality pillow tracks and analyzes your sleep automatically and you can check in with a full report of your sleep the very next morning if you have an apple watch tracking your sleep is as easy as wearing it to bed if you don't you can do it through the iphone or ipad app just tap a button to start your sleep session you can even record sounds of the night like sleep talking apnea or other noises that might be affecting how you sleep and use the pillow app to check trends get personalized insights and compare your sleep metrics with your weight steps caffeine consumption and more and use smart alarms to get woken up at the most optimal time aiming to wake you up when you're in a stage of lightest sleep and pillow is of course privacy minded all of your sleep and audio data is encrypted and stored on your device and when it's stored in iCloud it's using end-to-end encryption pillow is free to download from the app store with a set of features that you can use for free every day and you can try pillow's premium features with a seven-day free trial just visit pillow.app to get started that's pillow.app to get started thanks to pillow for sponsoring the show all right lastly i want to mention some mastodon things um first of all ivory by tapbots has launched this is the based on tweetbot app um that's that's been adjusted and fine-tuned for the mastodon experience it, it's been in beta for a few weeks now and as of um, this week it's now available to to try out on the app store and then you can subscribe to it to support it um, and unlock things you know more features the full the full function of the app um, so that's fun and, and that's iphone ipad in the mac in the future so not not yet um yeah and i'm using ivory obviously because mm-hmm. i didn't get in the beta period because i missed out on the invites mm-hmm. but the app came out i downloaded it that's what i'm using on the iphone now uh i like it i used to use tweetbot before um twitter kind of neutered uh third-party app experiences before they cut them off altogether and so uh i'm very familiar with how ivory works because it's very similar to how um tweetbot works mm-hmm. you can tell it's the same kind of foundational code they have made changes to make it fit the mastodon experience because mastodon has a slightly different feature set mm-hmm. than other than twitter than twitter yeah. right but it's similar it's very close yep. i i i have to say i don't particularly love the tapbot style of icon sets sure so like the you know if you look at the tab bar the like the way they have the styled icons with like the, the slashes and the hard lines and stuff i prefer more like system style icon sets mm-hmm. so if you wanted me to be super critical i would say that i would prefer a client that didn't have such stylized icons mm-hmm. uh but that's nowhere near enough of a reason for me not to use it because otherwise this is the best mastodon client you can get on the iphone by a country mile yeah so I yeah, that's what I'm using. Yeah, I can I confuse the profile. This is just on the iPad. I confuse the profile and the bookmarks icon because they look very similar. Mm, um, yeah. On, on the phone, you just customize your tab bar, and then you don't see the bookmarks one. You know, uh, but on on the Mac, it's, or on the iPad, it's a little confusing for me. But um, I love the sound design. I don't really keep sounds on on devices, but um, Tapbots does a great job of including cool sounds for 
for their apps, and this continues to be the case with Ivory. Um, the one thing I really want, and I guess the, the website has it for whatever instance of Mastodon you're using, but but you know, pinned to top, you know, streaming, scrolling without having to refresh the app uh, each time. So on the iPhone, don't really care about that so much, but on the iPad especially, it'd be nice. And when it comes to the Mac, I imagine it will have that. Um, if, if it's possible to do so that that's 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 you know with the twitter app debacle like i haven't been aside from just the awfulness of, of whatever's happening with 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 you know how it's been handled um it ha my twitter experience hasn't really been affected because i use the iphone app i use the ipad app um and then on the mac i use um i used to use tweetbot for mac but that went away before the the new boss but um I, i've been using tweeten t-w-e-e-t-e-n as the tweet deck mac client or you can use the website um but that's built on you know the the big feature there is that it does have streaming everything comes in without having to reload anything um so as mastodon becomes sort of what it is for me which is like it it's it's the twitter it's the part of twitter that was the apple community the tech community um somewhat journal journalism community but but you know is is you know, i haven't seen like mastodon sports or like mastodon um, you know, movies yet, but, but the things I get from Twitter, you know, otherwise, but I, I have seen sort of the, the Apple tech community go there, which has made it useful as something to check in on daily. Um, as well as like our follow, you know, our followers are, our, our nine to five Mac readers and happy hour listeners are, are there. So, um, Mark German just joined Macedon 10 minutes ago. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I've just logged, I've just opened Ivory and someone's retweeted him. So yeah. Nice. Nice. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Someone's boosted him. Someone has boosted Mike German. Yeah. Uh, in, and last night, Phil Schiller kind of officially joined. He, he, he had a test account before. I don't think that was public or, or you know, publicized, but, um, he, he joined, uh, and, and that's, you know, this is Apple fellow Phil Schiller, uh, long time, uh, VP of marketing, you know, core executive at Apple, one of the old, old guards of, of Apple, um, left, left Instagram when Instagram made an Android app and, um, uh, had, had said they jumped the shark. <laughs> left Twitter when um, it had a new boss and there were, you know, harsh firings, et cetera. Um, now on Mastodon. And Mastodon is trickier to verify accounts. Like, it's easier to have a verified account because you can do it yourself by, like, putting code in your website or something that references that you've got access to both of these two things. Um, but in, in saying, like, this is the Phil Schiller, you know, <laughs> is, is harder to do. Um, yeah, what's Phil Schiller going to do? Like, put, a, put code on the <laughs> Apple.com homepage? Like, that's not going to happen. I'm not even sure where to put code. I'm not verified on my account. But uh, exactly. Um, but I, I sent off an email last night to, from, from my 9to5Mac account, so it wasn't, like, secretive and, uh, to Schiller. And he promptly replied and said, that's me. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, you know, <laughs> that, that's, you know, I, I think, uh, Gruber said this is him. I can unofficially verify, um, being able to do it myself was like, okay, great. <laughs> so it is Phil Scheller. Um, big question mark, you know, will Apple do this? Will Apple have a, a presence there? Of course, their presence on Twitter is mostly advertising except for like all the other non Apple, not at Apple accounts, either TV music, et cetera. Um, but we'll see if they do that. They, they have done, because uh, they're on Facebook and Instagram, they, they do um, Asia-specific social media, which makes sense for localization purposes. TikTok, they're on. Yeah, TikTok. Um, they did Tumblr a long time ago with the IC5C campaign. That was super weird. <laughs> that was super weird, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so so we'll see if, if they do anything with Mastodon. Um, 
something that I've I've uh, decided I'm. Oh, this is complete oh, tangent. You go ahead. Yes. Um, Apple TV Plus. They used to use um, TWA um, Media Arts Lab. You know the you know the yeah. traditional uh, ad company that Apple works with. Yep. Uh, Chiat Day. That that like division that worked through hours Apple advertising. They used to run the TV Plus um twitter accounts right yeah but literally last week apple signed a deal with a different company a different pr company around now runs tv uh all the all the social media for like apple tv plus and stuff if you look at the account you can see that that style has changed it's yeah. it's they're, they're boosting posts but not just like retweeting them and these are like posts about apple tv like they you know they, they do like a if ad age ran a post about the the new you know Chamelay ad, and they would they would run the run you know boost that, but they're like reacting to it with like a quote tweet and like a, a keep message or something. So I can see that. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say the 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 previous owners were doing a bad job, but I wouldn't say they were doing a great job. Sure. You see what I mean? Like they were doing like the bare minimum of okay. So we'll see we'll see if there's a big change. But I agree, there has been a slight change in style. Yeah, yeah. I and I didn't know about the change of uh, of who's running it, so that's that's neat. Yeah. Um, I prefer to say Masto instead of Mastodon. Especially in text and in writing and speak in speaking, you know, we'll say Mastodon. But like when I write it, I hate Mastodon. It's like the name. There's so much with branding. I think that Twitter, aside from like you know recent, has such great branding, which took time to get there, you know. But the blue color, the the variations of the bird, um, even when it was just a watermark, the word Twitter, like it was stylized in a way that's like it had the, the it had branding. Um, Mastodon. There's been like the third, just like with Twitter, there's been like third party app um, kind of symbolization that makes it, you know, go around the, the elephant, the tusk. That's what ivory is, you know, um, all these different elephant themed or, or mastodon themed things. Um, but I, I, I really think that like the name is clunky, but there's so much else that's clunky about it as well that hopefully will change in time. But um, like, like, for example, if, if you're on mastodon.social and I click a link to follow you on the web, and I'm not on Mastodon.social because it's harder to get into now. I have to. I, I can't like click that link on the web and be signed into Mastodon from my instance and follow you. I have to copy your URL and paste it in the search field on my instance, which that's a lot to ask for following somebody. Like, if if they're linked in the Mastodon, like if they're linked in Ivory, you can easily follow them. But I think the experience on the web is is that you've you've got to do the copy and paste thing, um, and that's also supported on on Ivory. So I guess if you find the link from Safari or Twitter or something, maybe you've got to paste that then too. But that's pretty clunky to copy a URL and then paste it in the search field to find the thing that you're looking for. Um, so those are kind of the the um, not so mature aspects of of the early on experience, which I'm sure, I'm sure Twitter was like as well. I wasn't there for like the super early days, um, but I don't I don't think it. I guess it was just less featured and, and not, you know, but anyway, I think, you know, the, it, I'm looking at it, you know, every day since, since Ivory came out and um, kind of, I'm kind of satisfied with like how it's going, not as for, for me, not as a replacement for Twitter, but as just, this is where part of the Twitter experience went to. And so, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad that there's Ivory for it and I'm glad we're getting feedback from listeners there and interaction and, um, yeah, do you, are you under any illusion that Mastodon's going to replace Twitter? No, not, no, right. No, yeah. For the for the tech community, maybe, and there's been more momentum there than any other previous effort. Yes, um, yeah. but in terms of you know what everybody in the world uses, no, no chance at all that that's going to happen. <laughs> it's just nowhere close. It's just not going to happen. 
uh, I mean, if you you need if you want mass adoption, i.e., by regular people, you need a first party client that's actually good and doesn't cost money. And there's no path to that happening, right? Like Ivory's great, but you have to pay for it, mm-hmm. and that that already cuts out yes a huge huge swap of any normal person. Because why would a normal person pay for a social media account? Which is a perfect reasonable stance to have because Twitter and Facebook are all free, right? Mm-hmm. So. Just on that on that one point alone, it's already not going to happen. And then you get into the complexities of the different instances, and you know what's go- and the, the 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 chicken and egg situation of all that. Like it's just just it's just not going to happen. Like Phil Schiller joining Macedon is great for us. You know, it's great mm-hmm. for the tech community. But in terms of wider like news outlets and everybody on every celebrity on planet Earth, it's just it's just never going to happen. There's a greater um, chance of the compatible with different social. You know, with with maybe Tumblr, with Mastodon, with with um, Micro.blog, that standard that can be used and shared activity pub, activity pub yeah. of that becoming yeah. what people are 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 using. Yeah, I'm doubt- I'm a bit skeptical of that as well yeah. because right. like the problem with standards like that is they're so lowest common common denominator that they don't work cross app like. What, what what does a Tumblr post look like inside of Ivory, for instance, mm-hmm. just because you're using the same platform? Like, it doesn't... Some of that stuff sounds more theoretical and practical. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe yeah, I'm there's, wrong there's a lot of common ground between... It, but... Like, there is a lot of common ground in, in between social media apps. I mean, stories became everywhere. So like, Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. That A lot of that is theoretical benefit. I'm sure. not sure how much of it will play out, play yeah. out in truth. Uh, at any rate... But again, that's another... Try and tell that to a normal person as a reason to sign up for Mastodon. This is not going to happen. Yeah. At any rate, we are unironically, and, and I would say earnestly, uh, to the best of our ability, playing our part. <laughs> Doing the business. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I, I think it's... I mean, it is harder to, to say follow on Mastodon at here, but um so i I won't do that i I don't think we've like baked that into what we do but links in the show notes i guess you know but uh so but but i'm I'm feeling good about that that experience so far where it's i I would not have predicted two months ago that this would be where we were with with what mastodon would be at this rate and and everything so cool i like it and i will say and this is going to be controversial people don't like it (laughs) if elon musk um chilled out and saw some sense and did some stuff like bring third-party clients back and chilled out a bit on some of his decision-making, my expectation would be Mastodon would die off and everyone would return to Twitter. But for as long as the Musk uh, continues down the path that he's been going, it's not going to happen. Yeah, fair enough. Yep. Yeah. All right, that is the podcast for this week. If you enjoy the show, please follow us in your podcast app if you aren't already. If you want the ad for your experience, you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts for $5 a month or $50 per year, and you get the ad-free episodes. Uh, if you have any feedback, you can email Benjamin and I together at happyhour at 9to5mac.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at ApolloZach. Benjamin, you're on Twitter at? BZMAO. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. <laughs>